Hi, I'm Milton Allen Turner, and this week I'm discussing leadership and why it's important to recognize not only the pioneers and the firsts, but why it's also important to acknowledge the leaders who followed, who are equally important, but may be all too easily forgotten. Welcome to this week's episode of Worldviews. With the arrival of spring, nearly everyone's attention in the United States turns to baseball. With the coming of a new season brings a renewed joy and a refreshed sense of hope. Perhaps, unlike most people, my love of baseball came to me not from my father, but from my mother. My earliest memories of the game are of her teaching me how to keep score. My mother lost much of her sight in her late teens due to macular degeneration. In spite of this challenge, she persevered, went on to become a nurse, put two sons through school, and then she started and managed the hot lunch program at my grade school and went on to manage the City Hall cafeteria in Cleveland for more than a decade. Only later did I realize that her teaching me to keep score was probably her way of fooling me into being her eyes. But it successfully passed on the love of the game she, in turn, got from her father, Wanamaker Gregory. Growing up in a small town in southeastern Missouri, my mother and grandfather would listen to Harry Carey broadcasting the St. Louis Cardinals games on the radio and would occasionally travel up to St. Louis's Sportsman Park my grandfather, Wanamaker, was a pretty good catcher in his day. I always loved to hear his baseball stories. He had forgotten more of the game than I could ever hope to learn. He played with people I only read about. In his prime, star pitchers from the St. Louis Browns and the St. Louis Cardinals would ask him to catch for them during their off-season workouts. As was all too common in that era, he was considered good enough for the fields of Poplar Bluff, but not good enough for the fields of Sportsman's Park. Every year, Major League Baseball celebrates the anniversary of Jack Roosevelt Robinson playing first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947, and thus becoming the first black to ever play in a Major League game in the modern era. To celebrate that day, Every player on every team wears the number 42. And every team in Major League Baseball has permanently retired that number since 1997. The same year of 1947 saw two other Major League Baseball teams, the Cleveland Indians and the St. Louis Browns, today's Baltimore Orioles, following the Dodgers' lead, and fielding black players. While we should rightly celebrate this momentous event, I think it's still important and necessary to remember that firsts are not all that should be remembered. Baseball was far from integrated in 1947. In fact, it would be another two years before a fourth team, the New York Giants, would sign a black player. 10 years for the Phillies, 11 years for the Tigers, 
and 12 years until 1959 that the Boston Red Sox would become the last team to field an African-American player. In the 1996 HBO movie, Soul of the Game, there's a conversation between Jack Robinson and Satchel Paige, the Negro League superstar pitcher who would eventually become a 42-year-old big league rookie. Robinson says, I was thinking about my brother Mac, about how you know you guys think I'm so fast. I just looked like I was walking next to him. He ran the 200 meters in the Olympics in Berlin. Page replied, that's one of them that Jesse Owens won, right? Robinson answered, yeah, that's right. That's right. But Mac came in second. Then a couple of weeks later, he ran the best pace of his life, beat Jesse's time, and set a new world's record. I don't recall that, Page said. No one does, Robinson replied. Matthew Mac Robinson did indeed win a silver medal in 1936. But how many of us, like Satchel Page, quote, don't recall? Larry Doby is the sometimes forgotten second black to play in the major leagues and the first to play in the American League. Dolby was an all-star for six consecutive years, led the American League twice in home runs, once in RBIs, and was a key player in the Cleveland Indians' 1948 World Championship team, giving him, as well as Satchel Paige, the rare distinction of having won a championship in both the Negro and the Major Leagues. Doby's number was retired by Cleveland in 1994, and he was finally inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee in 1998. Many of us in Cleveland still remember opening day in 1975 when Frank Robinson became baseball's first black manager and hit a home run in his first at bat as the Cleveland player manager. But not many remember that Larry Doby followed yet another Robinson in becoming the second African-American to manage a major league ball club. I mention these as examples of leadership. I would define leadership with the Jesuit and Ignatian term magis or more. Leadership is following the call to do more. In the words of Yankees catcher Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. So while we may feel pride in our and in others' accomplishments, we must always remember it ain't over. True leaders realize how much more remains to be done. This is not an enviable task. The magis is neither easy nor comfortable. Some may even wonder, when does it all end? How much more do I have to give? We may begin to feel like Sisyphus, forever damned to roll a boulder up to the top of a steep slope, only to see it fall down the opposite side of the hill 
and to have to begin the arduous task of rolling it back up to the top all over again. But don't be discouraged. There is hope. Albert Camus said the only way for the myth of Sisyphus to make any sense of all, il faut imaginer Sisyphe heureux. We have to imagine that Sisyphus is happy. Now, I have to admit, I've always had a hard time imagining how anyone could spend all of eternity pushing a boulder back up to the top of the hill, only to see it roll back down the other side and be happy. That was until I met my father-in-law, Mr. James Woods. Mr. Woods's greatest joy in life was cooking. Nothing gave him greater satisfaction than seeing others enjoying a good meal. Mr. Woods lived an incredibly full life. He served in the Navy during the Second World War and traveled to North Africa. His ship had been torpedoed in the Caribbean and he was injured. His wife personally wrote to President Roosevelt and got him discharged. He worked for the Ford Motor Company for more than 25 years and retired. And in his, quote, spare time, he opened and ran a restaurant at Inn in Angola, Indiana. He was a very gentle man. Nothing ever bothered him. After a decade-long bout with cancer, Mr. Woods passed away in September 1996. And in spite of his growing pain and increasing difficulty in walking, he never complained. He greeted everyone with a smile and every day with joy. He could imagine Sisyphus happy. He realized that the moment when that boulder is placed at the top of the hill, no matter how briefly, that moment was worthy of celebration. That all of the preceding labor had not been in vain, but was merely the preparation for that celebration. And as such, made it all an endeavor worth continuing. So I challenge us all to take on the mantle of leadership. Perhaps leaders like Jack Robinson, but more importantly, to be leaders like Mac Robinson, Norma Jean Turner, Wanamaker Gregory, Larry Doby, James Woods, and thousands of other men and women whose labors may be all too easily forgotten. Let us be leaders who will insist that these examples live on. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and that you found something in it to spark a deeper conversation leading to greater understanding. I'm Milton Allen Turner, and I invite you to join me again next week for more Worldviews.